This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. And welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis. It's a new year, but we're still talking about white women losing their marbles. And oh boy, do we have a throwback to the 90s. I'm Joe Lipset, and I am joined as always by Gina Radcliffe. Hi, Gina. Hello. As well as Jan Adams. Hi, Jen. Hello. We're seconds away from doing some kind of computery cyber Bob voice, but <laughs> I got nervous at the last minute. <laughs> yes, everyone, please dial up your modem because we are talking about 1995's The Net directed by Erwin Winkler and starring the one and only Sandy B. Yay, and her fabulous bangs. Oh boy, this movie <laughs> is so firmly entrenched in the mid-90s, mm-hmm. I could taste it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's got sardines on top too, you know. all right so apart from ordering a pizza on the internet which is the reference that everyone likes to make about this movie when you talk about it (laughs) gina i would love to hear your thoughts on the net (laughs) well as as the resident old in the uh in the uh, on the show uh (laughs) not really but (laughs) i know maybe by like a year or two (laughs) um when this came out uh i i'd already You've been uh, you've been somewhat on the internet. Uh, obviously, it was you know kind of a shell mm-hmm. of what it is now. But I, I'm pretty sure that at the time when this came out, people still thought this was the funniest thing imaginable. Just like you know <laughs> how uh, I mean, in some ways it's weirdly prescient, in, in that you know it has it has mm-hmm. characters telecommuting and and the whole idea of you know, becoming, you know, so reliant on your computer that you become isolated, but it's got mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of the same tropes of typical 80s and 90s techno thrillers where all it takes is like a few strokes on a keyboard and like someone's driver's license just like pops up on the computer screen. <laughs> and, and then you just mm-hmm. like delete and it like deletes their entire driver history and it's like, mm, <laughs> that that didn't happen then and that cannot happen now mm-hmm. Jeb what about you um yeah this was a much different watch for me I think this is only the second time I've seen this movie the first time I saw it was on my very first date Ooh. and so I went I can't remember his name it was not it was my first and only date with this person so I spent most of this movie like hoping he wouldn't try to put his arm around me and like regretting a lot of life choices. (laughs) So I I didn't actually remember a lot of this movie and I kind of had a little bit of a negative association with it just because of that date. And so watching it again, I was like, wow, this is really, first of all, I love Sandra Bullock and it's so just bonkers how well this movie has aged, you know? Like the 90s-ness is really fun, but like all of these things, like a lot of what she's explaining is our life now, you know, especially Mm -hmm. after a pandemic. So it was just, it was really interesting to watch it. I definitely remember having the computer that's like the size of like your entire desk also, you know, and (laughs) like the Doogie Howser black screen with the green type and everything. So that was a fun little throwback. 
Oh boy. Yeah. When she lugs out that laptop <laughs> monstrosity out on the beach so that mm-hmm. she could do a little bit of hacking and stuff, I was just like, ma'am, what are we talking about? But I know. <laughs> we all remember those days, you know. It's a little bit fun, like you were saying, Gina, to reflect back on where we were at in that moment. And yeah, a bunch of this is patently ridiculous. It's a little histrionic because, of course, it's Hollywood. So we want to make people a little bit scared of technology. But you're both right. There's a bunch of stuff in here. You know, the fact that we have consolidated a large portion of our private information online, Mm -hmm. you know, to the point where I have a bunch of old computers in my house that I'm just afraid to get rid of because I know it has credit card information. Yep, me too. I I have I have two laptops under my desk. I'm like, I, I shouldn't throw these out. What if people get information off of these? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the same with phones, you know, which are oh, essentially God, yeah. computers too, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the the more interesting thing about this. Like I watched this with Brian, my husband, and I don't think he had ever seen it or it had been so long. He had forgotten nearly the entire film. But his two observations were, oh, wow, okay, so because there's no cell phones, a lot of this story can proceed a little organically. Like if she had mm-hmm. a cell phone a lot of this would have just been kind of like removed. Mm -hmm. And the other piece was for a film that's primarily interested in technology, there's a huge portion of this film where she's just out and about and not engaging with technology. And I did think that was kind of funny, Mm -hmm. but it sets up the entire climax where it's like, as soon as you let Angela Bennett get near a computer, she will destroy you. Right. (laughs) That's one of the things I think is really interesting about this is it's that um, it's not quite a believe women story, but it just shows like when Mm -hmm. information is in a computer, how quickly we all are to just take it as fact, you know, and how easy it is to manipulate that information if you just have the keys into the system. And it's this really interesting dichotomy of her like being off the grid and showing like how transient that lifestyle has to be if you're off the grid and then on the grid where you're connected to everything, but you're also really distanced from everything. So there's like a lot of different layers of this connectivity stuff going on, you know? Yeah, I think one of my favorite scenes is that moment where she ends up hacking into Cathedral, like she has to go on site, because of course, that's what always ends up happening. Whenever Mm -hmm. we're talking about technology, it's like, you've got to find the mainframe, you've got to go to the server room or something. Mm -hmm. And I love when she goes into Cathedral, and she's like, isolating where her faux imposter is so that she can isolate the computer and so on. But Mm -hmm. it requires her to physically do something that prompts this woman to stand up in real life so that she can then be like, (laughs) Terminal 5, cancel. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just think about it now, like where you have, like, you can literally just like, you put this thing the size of a quarter in like someone's pocket or like in their car and be able to be able to track where they are at all times. And, and like, mm-hmm. we, we, you could just buy this thing and just like, it, you know, there's no legal issues with it that, you know, what's it like? The, it's like, a, I forget. It was like, a, it's like an Apple product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, that, you know, as much as there are a few kind of unlikely scenarios in this movie, this is, Certainly, of of you know that era of you know, technology will, will bring about the you know, the demise of humanity. Movies. This is probably mm-hmm. the one that has its feet most firmly planted on planet Earth. Whereas you've got like you know mm-hmm. stuff like virtuosity, where it's like 
Nobody. Someday with computers, we'll be able to make someone with all the bits of like a hundred different serial killers. <laughs> we downloaded them all into a computer. Mm-hmm. And the computer just spits out whatever you need. It's like magic, you know? Right. It's like a 3D printer. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Of, of capers and crime and vigilantism. You and know? human beings. Right. Oh, I love that she has to actually do a lot of legwork in this movie because as much as like she can destroy you with like a keystroke, like most people are not that technologically adept. Like I would probably have to walk around and see who's who's talking on the computer or something to try to find them, you know. So I feel like you're right. It is very grounded as far as like what the reality of technology actually is, you know. Because mm-hmm. like now we would just access their camera, you know, and then you can right. just see who they are. Yeah, like there's a moment in this where uh, Angela has managed to come back into the country after making the very bad decision to falsify her own identity Ooh. documents to get a temporary visa. You're just like, Angela, no, you need no. to know better than this. But also, mm-hmm. I mean, she's trapped in a foreign country otherwise. Yeah. But she comes back, she finds out that her house has basically been cleaned out None of her neighbors know who she is because, of course, she was a bit of a hermit who lived her life online, relatable content. Mm-hmm. And she she goes on the run and she's got this cell phone. And of course, yeah, it's the size of a brick. It, it looks very cumbersome. But Jeremy Northam, the film's baddie, he calls in and says, like, do all of this stuff to find out where the cell phone is coming from. Like, it's harder for him to track the cell phone than the landline mm-hmm. and i was like oh that's really funny watching this in a contemporary lens because nowadays it'd just be like give me which cell tower that thing pinged off of and they would find her immediately so it's like the the script really switches but it's still you know the same kind of thing where like yeah gina we can track you all we need to do is like activate that little computer in your pocket yeah i watched a movie the other day where drunk college kids tracked someone on their phone you know, so it is highly possible to do that now. And it was really interesting hearing him explain how to locate a cell phone without mm-hmm. like using the word triangulate. You right. know? But it's just like this is just such a part of our culture now is like we know where everybody is now, you know. Right. And the thing is, the is, is, thing is, is that in this in this movie, that concept is supposed to be terrifying. And, and mm-hmm. now it's just sort of like, well, that's living in a technological age for you. People are going to know where to find you. We've just kind of quietly Mm -hmm. accepted it. Yeah. And I think that one of the interesting things I think about this movie is how quickly like she is able to use this technology against them, you know, and it really kind of shows it's not the technology itself. It's not the capabilities that the computer has. It's who is using it, you know, Mm -hmm. and because the tools themselves don't cause any problems. They are neutral because they're not humans. It's in the hands of the right person or the wrong person. And it's one of the, there's another movie that I'm, it's pinging in my brain that it reminds me of, but it's just like, as soon as you give this tool to Angela, she's going to take you all down because the tool itself is neither good nor bad. Yeah, it's a little bit hilarious. So the writer of this film, John Brown Cotto, I was like, why does that name sound so familiar? I look up his IMDb credits. He's written a slew of different kinds of films like this. Like one of my favorites, the Bruce Willis surrogate film, which is where people basically have avatars that they can use in the real world. It's 
kind of interesting, a bit of a disaster at the same time. <laughs> but his his biggest credit is actually he would go on after this film to write the screenplay for the third Terminator film. And I'm Ooh. like, oh, so this dude is just basically terrified of technology and mm. or he knows he can make lots of money by making other people <laughs> terrified of technology. Yeah, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> I do really like Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, I will say. It's not nearly as good as the second one, but, you know. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a tough one, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. there's there's a lot to like about it, but also it's coming on the heels of... Of history's greatest movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is my favorite movie of all time. So, yeah, anything compared to it is going to falter. <laughs> so... I don't know if we want to talk about this later, but as a queer person, one of the things that really struck me was how this entire film is centered around the aftermath of the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. Like the whole conspiracy is about convincing a homophobic senator that he has AIDS and that prompts him to die by suicide. Yeah, I had forgotten that element. Yeah, I forgot about that too. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> it's super weird to me because I recognize this is 1995, so mm-hmm. it's kind of in that nebulous zone. But I was like, ooh, we very much had cocktails that were like on the forefront of medicine that were giving people like it's not prep, it's not a guarantee. Like plenty of people were getting the virus having that turn into AIDS, and then yes, unfortunately they were dying. But mm-hmm. there was definitely hope. And it wasn't a gay thing at this point. Like in 1995, we knew for sure that like straight people could easily contract this as well. So I'm pretty sure we knew. I'm pretty sure we knew that Magic Johnson had had. Yeah. Come out with it. I mean, and he's still I feel like alive. That was like 93? You know, yeah, he's still alive and in, and as far as I know, in, in good health. So most people who with obviously with proper health insurance and good medical care who you know were diagnosed into the 90s are probably still doing okay. I mean, my impression was that, you know, he was just afraid of the scandal that would come from it. Uh, mm. not so much that he, you know, assumed that he was going to be, you know, dead within a year. But yeah, I completely forgot about that. It, it, and it feels weird. It feels like a remnant from like a, like a first draft of the script. Yeah. Mm. Especially because we never revisit it at all. And like, it's such a really tragic way to start this story. And then like Sandra Bullock, I think figures it out and just mentions it to some guy in a cabin. And that's about it. So to have this, like really tragic and upsetting death kick off the whole film. Like I'm just trying to think of what like 15 year old Jen thought when I was watching this. And I probably didn't really have any frame of reference for any of it. I I don't know. It's hard for me to remember, but it's just, I don't know. It feels like a lot of unnecessary like pain to start a movie like this with, you know? Well, it's interesting that you say that Jen, because the scandal part doesn't really come back apart from, yeah, she, Angela mentions it to somebody as, oh, this is why they did it. Mm-hmm. But AIDS actually does come back in the film. It's just, it's uh, almost off to the side, but like the protests that Angela disappears into the crowd when she's escaping from the dude, that's, right. that's actually an AIDS march. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I didn't notice that. 
So I, I can't help but wonder if this is actually like someone in the production or maybe even Brancato himself either being queer or knowing queer people and being like, I'm going to infuse the sort of moral panic and the, the health crisis into the film. But yeah, it you know, 95, we're not making things super, super obvious. So it's kind of there if you know to look for it. But yeah. it's a, a weird little peculiar piece of this film, which is so heavily centered on this white lady who doesn't have any ties to the community and she needs to like get away from things. Yeah. Hearing you explain it that way kind of feels like trying to get as much of the story as whoever wrote it knew the network would let them put in, you know, Mm -hmm. studio. I mean, not network, but you know, try to get, trying to get in and keep it in the conversation. So I don't know. It just, it's just weird, right? It is weird, especially because we hear that gunshot and then we see the statue, which is a really cool statue, by the way. But it's just like this man falling into the sand, you know, and that's and that's all we know about the movie so far. Like we haven't even met Sandra Bullock yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we're on to the world of floppy disks with virus and <laughs> Mozart's ghost. Oh, my God. You know how many times I said, take it out and blow on it. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> There's one part where she puts the disc in the wrong side. And I was like, oh, God, I remember that feeling so many times I when I used to play Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. And you'd be like, put in the other disc. And you're like, cramming it in. Ah, oh, it's upside down. And it's no matter what side you put it in the first time, it's wrong. Always wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's the right side up, you're not going to get it in the first time. And you know what? We, we saw that experience today with trying to plug in uh, USB cables. It's always, always the wrong side exactly. up Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technology has improved, and yet our ability to use it has not. No, exactly. not a wit. Not a wit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you, okay, do you two remember, because we are all old enough to remember this one, do you remember when we all started using computers for work and people were like, we're going to have shorter work weeks because these computers are going to do so much of the heavy lifting? <laughs> oh, yeah, Totally. Mine was actually the opposite because it was like, teachers, you have to use computers now. And we were like, no, 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 (laughs) we don't know how to do this. Like so I don't want to generalize, but so many teachers did not want to learn systems. And Mm -hmm. I was often in the role of explaining to teachers, like veteran teachers who've been like using their paper grade books for like 30 years. And we're like, no, 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 I'm not entering this shit. No. And so it's an uphill battle. (laughs) But no, it didn't (laughs) save us any time. You know, no. Yeah, I remember people thinking that we would never need to print out anything hard copy ever again. It would yeah. always just be email. It would be electronic. We would be able to access everything on databases, mm-hmm. which is all true. And yet I never felt like we did away with paper. I never felt like things got faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until you lose your first document and then you start printing stuff, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My backup. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's redirect back to the central thesis of our show, which is about this white lady in crisis. Did you two find it peculiar that Jeremy Northam's character decides to fuck her before he kills her? <sighs> she is pretty cute. She definitely. I mean, I, mean I, would, I would try to fuck Sandra Bullock also. <laughs> uh, but it is. <laughs> I just I wonder if part of me wonders if little 15 year old me was like, oh, but he's really nice. You know, mm-hmm. you two can make it work because that was very much my mindset back then. Um, but yeah, I think it's weird. They're trying to give him some kind of romantic 
element to this, partly mm-hmm. because he's just dreamy, you know? Oh, he's so hunky. Exactly. Especially, like, I don't know, I like a good bad guy, <laughs> which says a lot about me. But, you know, that the, they're trying to, like, kind of push this relationship. And I kind of get the sense that the film wants me to think that they can work mm-hmm. it out, you know, and that they could, oh, she'll just give them the disc back and they'll be a happy couple. They both like computers so much. It'll be great, you know? <laughs> We have our love of internet in common. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, he literally asked her on the date. He's like, so what else do you like to do apart from computers? And she's like, er. <laughs> like, there are other things. <laughs> I like to talk on computers. I like to <laughs> right. order pizza on computers. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like to sit by a roaring computer fire screen. <laughs> like to listen to music on computers on the computer (laughs) yeah that fireplace absolutely destroyed me (laughs) is that any worse than a lot of people now that you know so much of our lives is you know focused i mean look at us we would have never Mm -hmm. encountered each other in real life but except for being on computers Mm -hmm. yeah y'all still don't know if i'm actually real you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well you remember we, we determined last last episode that uh i know it was me i can't remember if it was jen or joe but two of us were dead and one of us was just talking to our ghosts oh that's right, right. <laughs> yeah that y'all were the ghosts of christmas uh exactly <laughs> christmas yes fixed jen i think <laughs> uh, yeah uh. oh i will say i love her um dessert choice of just a bowl full of m&ms it's like uh, there you yes. go nice. you can't go wrong you keep it simple Exactly. You got to correct that sardine pizza in some way also. Oh, boy. Sardine pizza. The weirdest thing about Jeremy Northam in this movie, though, I've never had it. It never, like, I just don't want bones on my pizza, you know, or Mm. eyeballs. Mm. Um, Sorry, if listeners love sardines, then I apologize. It's your prerogative, yeah. That's true, yes. It's just not for me. Um, But the weirdest thing about that date is when she says she's cold and he ties, he produces this napkin... (sighs) And just yeah. ties it around her midriff. <laughs> like, oh my Very gosh. much got the impression it's meant to be sexy, right? Because right. he has to get in close and he has to tie it around her back and he's touching. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's like, or offer her your jacket. Your jacket. Oh, wait, you can't because you've, oh. you've got like a bunch of nefarious <laughs> things in there. Yeah, so mental note to anyone who's dating a guy that ties a napkin around their waist. They're probably going to kill you later on in the evening, so. I mean, it seems like serial killer behavior, so yes. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So, Gita, I feel like you might have some interesting commentary on this. Do you remember when we were trying to put Dennis Miller in movies? (laughs) Man, you know what? Like... Do either you guys play the box office game? It's like a. It, it came out when like the whole thing with like Hurdle and Wordle and all that stuff, mm-hmm. where you're basically given like clues to guess a movie from a certain time period. So you get like the tagline mm-hmm. and you get the actors. Anyway, this will probably be a, a a good movie for us to do at some point. Um, it is a an erotic thriller with Rebecca De Mornay and Antonio Banderas from the <laughs> late nineties. Uh, I think it's called Never Talk to Strangers, but Dennis Miller is the co-star in it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if I've seen this movie. I've got to know what his character is doing in this movie. I I, I have to know. 
That definitely sounds right up our alley. <laughs> it does, unfortunately, doesn't it? I mean, I only knew him in movies because of uh, Bordello of Blood. Yeah, oh, and, at first, right. and then he was like, I think he was in, um, he was in some movie that had to do with like a murder in the White House, I think. Uh, oh, there was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a couple times where they just put him in these serious roles, but it's supposed to be a serious movie, but he's still doing the, yeah, da, 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 you know what I mean, babe? Yeah. Kind of like, you know, Dennis Miller shtick. He's still just playing himself. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, this felt like a really good fit for him because he's a jerk who has a bit of a heart of gold, but also he's a doctor who's sleeping with his patient. Like, that's the relationship he has with Sandra Bullock's Angela. I was just like, wait, are we meant to root for them also? Because no. (laughs) Absolutely not. Right. Like, the relationship that we see is mostly good, except that he doesn't, like, he, he, it's like when Homer buys Marge a bowling ball for Christmas that says Homer on it when he brings her the Chinese food. It's like, (laughs) this is what I want to eat, not what you want. I brought you a present for me. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Ooh, let me make it up to you by taking you out. Um, Yeah, I mean, you can definitely kind of see him trying to work his magic in there, but I like that their relationship stays mostly friend-ish, you know, or at least he doesn't I mean really he wants try. to fuck her and she's just kind of like uh I'm trying to not be murdered right now. Right. Right. And he it's weird because like I wonder if he didn't get incapacitated like if he would start trying to kind of work his way in, you know, like in a more aggressive way. But he's most like he's the best we've got in this movie. Oh sure. You know. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he seems a little bit more also, I think I just like to excuse bad boys' behavior when they are mildly charming in a movie. I don't know if y'all have picked up that pattern or not. He's not that bad. Not that, she I mean, can fix one him. guy is a killer, so obviously this one's better. Exactly. At least he's not trying to shoot her on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> just a good thing I found Corey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other intriguing things that I found about this is that once again, we have a white lady in distress on a boat, paging Double Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a segment set at a carnival. So paging Sleeping with the Enemy. What oh, the fuck right. is going on with 90s movies doing this to women? I know. Yeah, stay away from boats and carnivals. Apparently, like this is the message we're taking away from this show. I know. So stay home. Stay home on your computer. I mean, I have been taking that advice pretty exclusively for the past couple of years. It's worked out okay for me, you know? There we go. (laughs) We all learned something valuable from the pandemic. (laughs) Live like Sandra Bullock in the net. Exactly. You get pizza, you get M&M's. I do like the the character guy that, like, attacks him and then, like, gives him the the character mascot. Give me a hug! Exactly. I will say I found the um the sort of merry-go-round segment very well shot because I found it very disorienting. <laughs> mhm. And I think that's part of what like makes because this was back when movies like this were getting relatively substantial budgets, you know. Like they're not like single location shoots, but they're also not like Marvel movies where you could do any kind of location you want, you know. So a boat would give the ability to kill someone and then they just fall overboard, you know? And so you don't have to deal with any kind of like gore or special effects with that. They're just over the side, you know? And then 
Carnival is going to automatically add your visual interest without you really having to do a whole lot with it, you know? It's also like a magical date where the characters can still talk to each other. Mm -hmm. I think visually it's just, it's exciting stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like a bit on the water, a little bit in the bright lights and the crowds. And Mm -hmm. you've got to find ways for women to either disappear or be threatened in public. So they both make logical sense. But you're right, Jen. I mean, this is a definite mid-tier film the likes of which we don't really see anymore so this was 22 million dollar budget it opened to 10 million on its first weekend and then legged it out to 50 so it had like five times its opening weekend gross and then internationally worldwide gross we get 110 million dollars so very much a testament to sandy's box office prowess at the time and where was this in her was this before or after speed this is after. Okay, because that's when she really kind of exploded. Mm-hmm. Right? But this is before Speed 2. <laughs> <laughs> well, Speed 2 started before this movie was shooting and then the boat didn't get there till after. Because so. <laughs> Brian was like, wait, has she done another thing where she was on a boat? And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it does start Jason Patrick and he is very dreamy. <laughs> another uh, man we could describe as Butch. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> Question, Ooh. has any woman ever described wanting a butch man in a kind of like online dating profile? Because that just, I'm sorry, that seems like a gay thing to me. I was just going to say, that doesn't sound like a hetero um, no. relationship conversation that we would be having. <laughs> Gina, Gina looking for a butch man anytime <laughs> soon? Cannot say. No, cannot say. <laughs> Uh, Her description of the perfect man is just so ridiculous. Like this man would be awful and you wouldn't want to (laughs) spend any time with him at all. Like I'm just picturing Fabio with like glasses and like surrounded by like science bottles. I don't know. He's he's clearly ridiculous. I mean, it's it sounds to me like what a man thought women who didn't have any friends or a social <laughs> life thought was hot. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Because I, there, no way I would ever describe it. I like the um, playing an instrument thing though, and liking classical music. I'm down with that. Sure. Yeah. I do think one of the weirdest things about this film is that it has a bit of a skewed message, like. I remember watching it back when it first kind of came out. I think my sister and I caught it on VHS and we love Sandra Bullock. We thought this was like scary and frightening, you know, like computers were really just starting to come out and become a thing. Like I think we had maybe gotten our first home computer at this point and it was incredibly primitive. You could not do anything that she's doing on Mm -hmm. a home computer. But nowadays watching it, I'm like, So wait, is the film trying to make the message that she needs to log off and, you know, open the windows a la Scream 3 and, Mm -hmm. you know, engage with her mom and have social connections? Because sure, being a kind of hacker lady is what gets her into a bit of trouble. But at the end of the day, it's only because she can do shit online that she gets out of it. So I, I find the end of the film suggesting that she needs to get outside more a little bit perplexing yeah it feels very like touch grass you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's it feels like the moral is really hey technology is scary you know and just be a good person using it that's 
really what the moral is because there's a lot of it's her life doesn't really seem that bad other than the fact that she just doesn't really have anybody that can recognize her you know like maybe go outside and talk to your neighbors a little bit you know but I mean seems like her cyber bob friends were pretty nice you know none of them were like overtly Mm -hmm. gross you know and of course, the film does the usual thing where one of the people she talks to is 12 years old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I did appreciate that it was like it was the 12 year old who was constantly saying like, hey, we should hook up. We should get together. Mm-hmm. And then the other person that she talks to regularly, we never see. He seems nice. She was going to meet up with him and presumably he gets killed. Yeah. But then uh, the other person is in India and you're like, oh, yeah, that's another added benefit of online living is that you can make connections with people in completely different countries in completely different time zones. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot just with where Twitter is right now, you know, and like the pros and cons of Twitter, because there are a lot of downsides that have negatively affected me personally, you know, but there's also like, I wouldn't know either of you, you know, if Mm -hmm. not for Twitter, like most of the professional podcasty writey things I've done have come through Twitter. So it's, it's really, I think just finding a personal balance for yourself, you know? Yeah. It's every, every techno thriller, particularly in the nineties is, you know, basically warning you that there there are spooky people you can't trust on the internet. You can can definitely trust people (laughs) in real life more. And it's like, can you know? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that that's particularly true. I mean, I mean, yes, obviously, you know, online, it is easier to maintain a, a, a false front, but that also doesn't mean that, you know, everybody you meet in person is, being upfront with you uh, uh, about mm-hmm. who they are and what they want from you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's literally demonstrated in this film because she meets this dude at the beach. He mm-hmm. seems to share so much in common with her, drinks the same weird alcoholic beverage that she does, <laughs> and then immediately tries to murder her. And I get that you're meant to take from it that, oh, okay, well, she hadn't revealed so much of herself online. They wouldn't have so much ammunition to use in this fake persona boyfriend guy that he adopts on the beach. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, all the time she nearly dies is when she's out there doing stuff in real life. She was safer back behind the computer. (laughs) Exactly. If she hadn't gone on vacation... This wouldn't have happened. And like, she is <laughs> the going to the movie. Don't go on vacation. <laughs> exactly. Stay in your house. Don't talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this movie really could have ended five minutes in if she just had a cat. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Get two though. Cause then they can play with each other. <laughs> they don't wreck all your stuff. It's a lesson I've learned very painfully this year. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting. Like, as I'm looking at this cast too, and I'm noticing, you know, cause our show is called white ladies in crisis and you know, there's just so few characters of color in this and that, oh, yeah. that scene with the, her and the public defender, that was a hard one to watch now. You know, I don't, think there's any real ill intent there especially from 1995 but it is hard to see the only two people of color being working for they're tied to correctional facilities exactly yeah yeah and i wouldn't necessarily call the public defender the bad guy but like she's she's part of the system that is hurting sandra bullock you know Mm -hmm. i will say watching this film it's a little bit lengthy like i yeah. do think we could kind of trim this down a little bit make it <laughs> yeah. a bit more of a hot run time that whole segment where we send her to jail i'm just like no 
you could just lift this straight out of this movie and just be like, yeah, she has to go on the run. We don't need to actually catch her, put her in jail and then have her escape in this super convoluted and very coincidental car chase. Yeah. But I guess I appreciate that it's in there for stakes, right? You know, this idea that she tries to go on the run is immediately apprehended. Yeah. Well, and there's also the fact that like the only place she is safe is in jail, you know, mm, which is yeah. feels heartbreaking. But yeah, I agree. I think if you lifted that entire storyline out, you don't really lose the main thrust of the story, you know? Yeah, no. Yeah. It was like Helen and Candyman kind of vibes to it, you know, where like the system turns against you and that just opens up a big other question in 2002 that just, I I don't necessarily want to think about in this fun movie about the internet, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, as we said, there's, there's a lot about this film that does feel prescient. There's a lot about this film where we look at it through contemporary eyes and we just think, ah, that's ridiculous. Like that is just not the way it is. Mm -hmm. I used to teach this along with enemy of the state in a mm. course I called uh, technology and its relationship to humanity. Ooh. So it was primarily composed of like cyberpunk films, films from this era, because this to me feels very indicative of where we were at in the run up to Y2K, which mm -hmm. is part of the reason I thought it would be fun for us to program it around the coming of the new year, mm -hmm. because I vividly remember back in 1999, wondering whether or not we were going to wake up to a world that had been reduced back to the Stone Age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just actually, for my Substack, I actually just watched and reviewed uh, the TV movie Y2K, the movie. <laughs> oh, my <God. laughs> oh my gosh. And I do actually mention the net and how uh, both of them were, are, again, cautionary tales about not becoming too reliant on computers and then you know now we are more reliant on computers than ever before mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. like we did not take the lessons of either movie to heart yeah yeah and if i think about maybe if i'm looking at this as a bigger kind of moral picture like the one difference that really does exist now other than like wi-fi and you're just a lot more mobile with your computers is that mm -hmm. our faces are a lot more present on screen you know and so right. i guess that's where maybe the correctional facility element comes in it's just like these are big big systems that it's easy to forget that human beings are involved in this and that th mm -hmm. this is not a data point that's a human being's life like it's not just a house it's all of her possessions and where she lives and so i think Maybe that could be the moral I take. I don't know if it's the intention. It's just that, like, don't lose your humanity right. in these systems, you know? Yeah, because it is, I think, easy to lose track of yourself. I mean, we've all faced it professionally just in terms of comparing ourselves to our our contemporaries and our colleagues about like, oh, what have they managed to accomplish? <laughs> Random person on the mm -hmm. Internet. But. Yeah, I mean, the other big piece is thinking about where do we fit as cogs in a giant machine, thinking about capitalism, like, the whole point of the net is that it's about leveraging power, like it's, it's this super nefarious plan. But it's really just about a greedy CEO who wants to get his company into additional businesses so that he has greater access to power and therefore money. Like mm -hmm. the bottom line is this dude just wants more power and the internet and the anonymity it provides is what enables him to do so. 
again, it always yeah. comes down to what is the motive here for, you know, it's almost always some sort of power, a small amount of power, maybe, or a lot of power, depending, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's another larger kind of takeaway, too, is like whenever there is a big faceless system, who is benefiting most from it? Right. Who is at the top of that chain? And and odds are it's 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 going to be a particular type of person with a lot of money. I just thought it's so funny that at the end of the day, Sandy ends up sending this file off and the dude gets arrested. And I realize, oh, this is a character we've only ever seen on screen in this film like we mm. only ever see him in news reports or, or when she's doing web searches and stuff it's an interesting choice for this film to make its big bad like the person who's pulling all of the strings to actually just be this kind of nothing character we just see oh he's a generic white man who wants a bunch of power and he's ruining all of these other people's lives without even maybe realizing it that's interesting i hadn't thought about that in if I were to give uh, Jack a little bit of credit for being like trying to still date Sandra Bullock while he's also trying to kill her, you know, I think mm -hmm. like this is a job for him. Like he oh, doesn't sure. really care about whatever this dude's whole power grab is. It's just a paycheck, you know, still doesn't make it OK for him to try to date Sandra while he's trying to kill her. But, you know. Yeah, that that's kind of the one big piece at the end of the film where he confronts her on this catwalk and he says, you know, you just wiped out my entire employer. And you're just like, yeah, this is just a job to you. Like the yeah. romance as well as the murder. This is all just a thing where you're doing this to get paid like everybody else. Yeah, I feel like there's another version of this movie where it is from the bad guy with the glasses at the end whose name I can't remember from his perspective. And Sandra mm -hmm. Bullock is like this this rogue hacker who's trying to take everything down. He's you know? ruining his company. I know. I feel like she would have to have more spiky hair. <laughs> a little more like shiny leather, you know. <laughs> She'd have to look like uh, Angelina Jolie and hackers. That's right? exactly who I was picturing, yes. <laughs> yeah, she'd have to have like some kind of like really cool name, like like Cypher or something like that. Oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah. But with an S for Sandra. <laughs> I fucking exactly. love that movie, by the way. <laughs> I haven't seen it in years, but I remember loving it. That's a Jeremy Lee Miller. That's what Jason Lee Miller? Johnny. Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was the yeah. first time I ever saw him. I was like, oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, good times. God, <laughs> I love 90s movies. <laughs> I do too. It's so like it's such fun to reminisce. And this is like the kind of 90s that I specifically remember watching. And I was really too, like this was before I was super into horror. And it was when I could still go to the movie theater. But I was also aware of pop culture as like a person that was not attached to whatever my parents liked, you know? So mm, it's like, mm -hmm. it's like when they say you always go back to the music you listen to in high school, you know, I feel like this time period for movies just feels like when I was discovering what I like for myself, you know? Right. It just warms my little heart, you know? <laughs> well, that's a natural segue, actually, to where we're going to go next. But before we say, uh, Gina, how do people get a hold of you? You can, however much longer it's going to last, uh, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter under Gina Does Things. Uh, I also write about movies and television at school.net. And as I mentioned, I have a Substack. It's Gina Watches Things.substack.com. Nice. And of course, Kill by Kill. Oh, yes. I completely forgot Kill by Kill. Uh, I, yeah, I co host a Kill by Kill podcast in which we talk about horror movies uh, according to the characters. 
but yeah, uh, we are we are on a bit of a holiday break as I record this, but we are coming back in January. Nice. Okay. And Jen, if uh, folks want to reminisce about the 90s with you, how would they do so? Uh, you can find me at uh, Jen Feratu on, if, if it's a social platform that I'm using, it's going to be Jen Feratu, mostly Instagram right now. And then you can also find me hosting the Losers Club podcast, which is about Stephen King and psychoanalysis, which is about horror movies and mental health. And then I also have a Substack, and I actually did a stack finally, um, that I believe it's at Jen Adams. It's also possible it's a strong female antagonist. I need to check what my handle is. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell you what, we'll see if we can link to it in the show notes. How's that? Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, it's still pretty new. So and this whole technology thing, you know, it's just it's hard for me. I need Sandy to come help me get into my system and fix it. <laughs> Start by ordering a pizza online and then move yeah. into Substack. <laughs> Don't forget the M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> And if people want to reach me, you can do so at B Storm My Remote, and that's the letter B. Uh, yeah, so folks, we will be back, and we're going to leave technology behind because we're going to move very much into the real world where you cannot trust anyone that you might want to hook up with because, folks, we're going to talk about fear. Woo! Speaking of carnivals. Oh, God, is there? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's definitely a Ferris wheel. <laughs> Oh, of course. Yes, of course there is. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So uh, until Marky Mark takes time out of his busy pants dropping schedule to bang on Reese Witherspoon's <laughs> door, I guess stay online and don't go on vacation. Yeah, definitely don't go outside. Stay home, <laughs> order pizza. There we go. <laughs> We've cracked it. Scream Pod Squad.